Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a Triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Erin Elmore. My guest today is Dr. Noreen Russell. Dr. Russell is the founder of Russell Coaching for Students, which uses an innovative method of coaching for students with complex challenges, including those who have ADHD, autism, anxiety, and learning differences. Noreen has over 20 years of experience in child development, learning styles, special needs, and positive parenting philosophies. She's also the author of the recently published guide for parents called Asking the Right Questions Before, During, and After Your Child's ADHD Diagnosis. Today, we're talking about ADHD and a new model of connected coaching that Dr. Russell has developed and will be presenting at the CHAD conference in November. And CHAD stands for Children and Adults with Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. So we're very excited to have you here, Noreen. Thank you for joining us. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. Well, as we start, do you want to share a little bit about what brought you into your practice of coaching students and helping kids who have complex ADHD? Sure. Yeah. It's an interesting story, actually. I went to graduate school with every intention of becoming a a lifelong academic and spent several years in academia and then made my first career transition into full-time nonprofit work when I moved to New York City. My research had always been very applied, and I got hired by the YWCA of the city of New York to start a center for girls for them. So I was basically taking all of the research and theoretical knowledge and and actually applied programming knowledge that I had from developmental psych and applying that to building their centers for girls. And so I did that for several years and then got recruited to come to Tampa and work for another nonprofit. And I did that for several years. And again, very consistent with my background. How do we help kids develop in a healthy way? How do we as communities support kids? What support do parents need at various different times of their child's lifetime? And so really grounded in a lot of positive psychology and developmental psychology. So that career transition was a big one. And then I had my son and he was super complex medically. And I kind of retired from the nonprofit world. And then that's where sort of the turn in the story comes. I had a lot of clinicians, so licensed therapists here in Tampa asked me if I would work with someone who had been referred to them. And what they kept saying to me was, the student doesn't really need therapy. The student is fine. The student is psychologically healthy and intact. They're a little out of sync with their peers. They feel a little lonely. They need mentorship and coaching. Would you work with them? And I kept saying over and over again, I'm not a licensed therapist, (laughs) you know? And they're like, no, 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 this kid doesn't need a licensed therapist. They need a coach. And I kept kind of rolling my eyes like, I'm trained as a research scientist and like take a lot of pride in, you know, using best practices and programming and things like that. And at the time, coaching just seemed like the wild west to me. And I was not the least bit interested in becoming a coach, but they all have seen something in you to keep asking you to do it. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. And so I said yes. And then I said yes a few more times. And then really ended up with a practice when I was by myself that 
was just that. It was kids who needed some extra adult support for one reason or another, but didn't necessarily need to be in therapy. They needed coaching. They needed mentoring. And that's really what I have been doing on a larger scale in the nonprofit work and certainly what I have been studying as an academic. So now I would just was doing that on an individual level. And then at age four, my own son was diagnosed with ADHD and I started the ADHD parent support group network in Tampa Bay. And then people started asking me if I could do ADHD coaching. And at the time, there was a lot of talk about that in the field and how it could be helpful and what ADHD coaching looked like. So I read everything I could get my hands on. And what I love about where the practice has come to is it's still grounded and rooted in the same core beliefs as my degree in developmental psychology, right? You know, there's a combination of nature and nurture. Parents make a huge difference. And on the other hand, they make very little difference. You know, we know that kids need healthy, safe environments to grow up in and adults who care about them. We know they need to feel good about the work they're doing. And so even though when I look at it, I think, wow, that seems a little schizophrenic. I've had three wildly different careers, 14 years into the coaching practice. I'm really proud of, of what we've built. I think we are the largest student coaching practice in the country. Wow. We're certainly the only coaching practice in the country that is tailored specifically for neurologically complex kids. and. Mm. What I can say is that makes a difference. You know, there are parents who need this service who've never even heard of it. And to be, you know, leading a team that's providing this to over 150 students every week has been incredibly rewarding. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for sharing all that. It's so funny how we set out on a certain path and then, you know, a decade or two later, we're com somewhere completely different. We never would have guessed, but in your sharing of it, it actually seems very coherent, right? Like every, every step led you to the next level, I guess, in your career. And, and you're right that everything is very integrated and how wonderful to have a model of coaching that is based on all of the literature and all the research, because of course, then it's more effective, you know, and I love that you have the professional academic element, but also the personal element as a mom of knowing what these kids are struggling with. So that's wonderful. Well, as we continue talking today, I like to always define terms. I mean, a lot of our audience obviously understands ADHD, but in relation to, you know, your program and what you're going to be speaking on at the conference, how would you define ADHD? What are some ways that we can recognize ADHD? Sure. So I think, you know, one area that we can help with is that, you know, we always think of ADHD as the person who can't pay attention. And I think the sooner we all move in the direction of someone who has ADHD has been diagnosed because they have an inability for their brain to automatically regulate attention. The deficit is in the regulating of the attention, not in the ability to pay attention. Great so, distinction. Um, yeah. You know, I think that's really an important thing for the audience to be thinking about. Yes, kids, teenagers, adults with ADHD can pay attention. It's simply under what conditions 
are they most likely to pay attention? So the deficit is in the automatic regulation of attention. And then the second core symptom is impulsivity. And, you know, I feel for parents out there because I hear from them every day. I know that he knew better. I know that. (laughs) And when I asked him, he said he didn't mean to. I was like, that is the very definition of impulsivity that I know better and I did not do better in the moment. And then the third symptom, which some people have and some people don't, is hyperactivity, which can be actual physical hyperactivity, needing to move a lot. It can be a feeling of restlessness in your body that manifests in small motions. And it can also be verbal hyperactivity. So that person who just talks and talks and talks endlessly, that can be a manifestation of hyperactivity as well. Mm -hmm. The core symptoms are currently used in the DSM to diagnose ADHD. There's a whole ton of associated symptoms or behaviors and comorbid conditions, but those are the three defining symptoms according to the DSM as of today. That is one of the best description I've ever heard of ADHD. That was very well done. And if I'm right, aren't there often more comorbid issues with ADHD than some other diagnoses? Is that correct? Yes, you are completely correct. So in my practice, we refer to this as simple ADHD or complex ADHD. So somewhere between 25 to 35% of kids only have ADHD, which is enough to have in and of itself, believe me. (laughs) But the vast majority, about two thirds, maybe as much as three fourths have a comorbid condition. And that could be, you know, any number of things. The common ones are mood disorder. So anxiety, depression, another neurological developmental issue, autism. It could be tics. It could also be one of the learning disabilities. So reading, writing, or math difficulties. But yes, If you are a parent who has a child who has been diagnosed with ADHD, you want to specifically be asking, do you think there are any comorbid conditions for my child? Is there anything else that we should be looking at? Because the odds are you're going to find there's something. And that's important to understand because a kid with ADHD and autism can look very different from a kid with ADHD and dyslexia. ADHD doesn't define the entire experience. Yeah. I think that's important because in my you know, time and experience working with kids and families, that's a common confusion is one kid with ADHD doesn't look at all like a different kid with ADHD because, well, first of all, every person is unique, right? But also there's so much layering that goes in. And if I recall, isn't it because the part of the brain that's affected by ADHD also regulates most of those other conditions that you're speaking of? Is that, I know that's a generalization, but that's, that's somewhat of why that the overlap is there. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If we're just focusing on the ADHD component, I know there are other things going on, but if we're just focused on the ADHD part, what are most of the common challenges that you see in students when they're trying to learn with ADHD? You know, the thing that I want to talk about here is the most common challenge is when the ADHD isn't identified and the child or the middle schooler or the teenager keeps getting told, you're so smart. You just need to try harder. You just need to work harder. You're so smart. You have the potential to do this. 
I don't know why you're not trying. Or as we get to upper high school, well, he's just not motivated. She doesn't care. She's on TikTok all the time. You know, I think that the unrecognized and undiagnosed ADHD is really the biggest challenge because at that time, the child or the teenager is really being told this is completely under your control. This is something that if you try hard enough, you can overcome. And then, of course, we all know what happens. You can't overcome a neurodevelopmental disorder through sheer willpower. That's why medication is first-line treatment, right? And then they begin to feel badly about themselves. And then they begin to feel badly about the people around them. That teacher hates me. All the teachers hate me. School isn't for me. And it's that part that I think is the most sad. Once there is a diagnosis and there's a good treatment plan, really you can move most of the burden of ADHD out of the way. And students with ADHD can be just as successful as their neurotypical peers. But when the ADHD isn't identified or isn't treated, that's when we end up with kids who are engaging in high-risk behaviors as teenagers. They're dropping out of school. They start to feel like nobody understands them. No teacher cares about them. And I think that's the biggest challenge really mm -hmm. is letting both schools and parents and to some extent clinicians know that what the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends is if you see any symptoms that look like it could be ADHD, a complete evaluation is what's called for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point because I think what I'm thinking of when you're describing that is it's almost like the ADHD becomes attributed to that student as a character flaw, which can create this whole cycle of shame. Or if they didn't already have comorbid anxiety or depression, that's a perfect breeding ground for a mood disorder to kick in. Yeah. So I, I think that's a great point of identifying it and naming it and externalizing it. And then it's it's not an issue of lack of self-control or some kind of character flaw. It's right. a neurological situation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I I remember when I started the Tampa Bay ADHD parent support group, you know, people were using at the time the, you know, behavioral words for, for neurological disorders and psychiatric disorders. And, and I remember standing up and doing a, a talk one evening and saying, you know, when I talk about my kids at school, I talk about their neurodevelopmental differences and their mm -hmm. psychiatric disorders. I don't talk about their behavior disorders because behavior disorders lead everyone to think that, oh, well, if we put behavioral consequences in place, then we can get rid of the unwanted behaviors, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think the field did itself a disservice when it took on the idea of behavioral health. And mm. so we really talk a lot at the practice about you know, ADHD is a neurodevelopmental disorder. And we talk about the mood disorders or the psychiatric disorders. We really stay very far away from the idea of behavioral disorders because it's not really behavior. I mean, right. There are some in the field, but ADHD and autism, things like that are not, not one of them because it's neurological. It's not behavioral per se. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good perspective. Tell us more about your connected coaching model. Sure. Yeah. So as someone who's trained as a, a researcher and a psychologist, I thought that it was important that we be able to document 
what we're doing in connected coaching and how it makes a difference and why it makes a difference. And so we worked on this last year and identified six components of our connected coaching model. And I think too, this was important to me because I want to make sure that when people come to Russell Coaching, they know that we are developing a model that is based on science and is based on best practices in medicine and is consistent with the American Academy of Pediatrics, as well as the American Association for Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. You know, what I don't want is people thinking, oh, well, there's someone who, you know, happened to be good at school. And so now she's an executive functioning coach, you know, yeah, yeah. Want to know that there's a method to what we do. So what we've designed in our connected coaching approach is a six component model that starts with understanding the individual student. And this will resonate with a lot of clinicians, of course, like what are the student's strengths? What are their weaknesses? What's their psychosocial history? Is there a school plan in place? What other evaluations have they had? What treatment plans have been tried? All of that. So you're really looking and doing a deep dive at the individual student. You're not just kind of pulling off the shelf, this model of teaching executive functioning skills, no matter where the student is. We want to Love know that. their fast or slow processing. You know, how's the memory? How's the visual processing versus verbal processing? What's the IQ? You know, you have to take into account all of the different aspects of the information you get from a psychoeducational evaluation. So that's the first component is really looking at the individual student and what are their individual level strengths and challenges. And then the second component for us is the student's team. And this obviously includes parents to the extent that they're involved, which most of the time they are, but sometimes not so much, school personnel, medical professionals, therapists, and anyone else who's, you know, on that student's team. And what we find is that clinicians and medical professionals are more than happy to consult together. They're often not the ones who will pull the meeting together to consult, but they're more than happy to consult. And so we often are in the lead role on that student's team, but that's okay with us because we believe really strongly in that team approach and, and in getting data back to the school of what we're seeing and getting data back to the doctor of what we're seeing. The third component for us is science, you know, just really using a brain-based understanding of ADHD, of learning, and also what is the science of how relationship and connection foster a feeling of safety so that the student is poised to learn. And so there's several components of the science piece that, that we think are just vital to our model. Fourth is data, which includes, of course, any prior reports, but also includes, you know, our weekly notes on the student, the assessments that we do. Our students all set goals weekly, and then we have a customized software that tracks how many of those goals they've met. Um, mm -hmm. and they semester long goals. We collect grades every quarter or semester. So we really want to know not that it's all about grades, it's not all about grades, but are we moving the needle on something that matters? Whether that's the student's goal of being less stressed at school, whether it's that student's goal of being ready for AP classes in high school, but the data has to drive that conclusion. Not like, 
well, he likes coming and, you know, he seems to like his coach, you know, well, that's great, but where are we moving the needle? Mm -hmm. The fifth component for us is just leadership and whoever's on our leadership team at Russell Coaching and what do they bring in terms of different experiences of complex ADHD in different settings, treatment. And then the last and the sixth component is resources. And I would say for us, the most important thing is we developed and built out a customized software program this last summer that supports our connected coaching model. So now the kids all log into our connected coaching portal, their goals go in there, their grades, all of their project management planning for school so that it's very easy to see. There's no handwriting to do. And we can very easily chart you know, the grades over the course of time. We can calculate the number of weekly goals met. We can do that over time. So that's been a really fun piece to develop a software that builds right into our system and creates I think real close integrity and fidelity to our model. So it's yeah. not bending down a couple bugs, but we're we're really, really, really loving the move from paper planners, which we've used for a long time in a very specific way to building out a software program that takes our model and, and makes it easier for the kids. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Are you preparing for a licensure exam in psychology, social work, marriage and family therapy, counseling, or behavioral analysis? AATBS is here to help. We have been supporting behavioral mental health students to prepare for their licensure exams for more than 45 years, working with over 1 million students to succeed on test day and move on to the next step in their career. With products ranging from comprehensive courses to quiz banks and delivered live online, self-study online, and in print, AATBS has test prep solutions that meet every student's needs and learning styles. Visit us today at aatbs.com. That's aatbs.com. And use promo code BHT15 to save 15% off your next purchase. Absolutely. Well, especially when you're talking about executive functioning struggles, right? Like that's so nice to have everything all in one place and know like, oh, I don't know where this paper is and this one somewhere else. And that's so wonderful. And yeah, what a comprehensive model. I mean, as you were going through each of those six points, I was thinking, oh, wow, that's so necessary and so relevant. And yeah, I think it's so important as you're mentioning to pay attention to the individual level and then the interpersonal level, and then the broader level of what's going on, because that comprehensive care is, we know, the most effective way to maintain change and make change. So yeah, it sounds like your your coaching model is very grounded in the research. And yeah, as a professional, and I'm sure as parents, people obviously would prefer that to, I feel like there is a lot of nebulous coaching out there like, oh, well, you know, he's feeling better and we're feeling better. So it must be working. It's so nice to have some linear, concrete ways to measure progress and then reevaluate. So, wow, that's so wonderful. How would you know somebody has moved through your program and then is ready to graduate? So I know you're talking about measurement along the way, but how do you measure when somebody is, oh, you're done, you're good to go, right? Flee the nest. <laughs> <laughs> so two things generally happen. The first thing that happens is family stress decreases. Okay. Um, 
significantly because usually what happens is students come to us and one of the other parent, often the mom, has been sort of the school secretary. Do you know that you have this paper due on Friday? Don't forget to turn this paper in. You know you need to sharpen your pencils, right? They've been the executive functioning person. Right. Tired and they're worn out. And if you're at middle school or above, the source of conflict and no tween or teen wants their mom reminding them they have work to do. They want to feel competent. They want to feel yeah. it and do it and trust themselves. So the first thing that happens is family stress goes down because they've said, okay, it's on the coach now. We're going to give it over to the coach. We're going to go back to being parents, which I love, right? Like I love that. That alone is worth everything. <laughs> oh, right. You know, our kids needed us when they were little, but our kids need us just as much in middle school, high school, and college. You need to be there to be a parent, a mom or a dad. And it's very hard to send that message of, I love you unconditionally. I know this is a difficult time. I know this is a confusing time. I know you might be taking some risks. You can always call me. I'll come and get you. And at the same time being like, you had seven missing assignments this week. What is wrong with you? You know, like the yeah. two just, just don't weave together very well in an adolescent's head. We can parse them out, right? Like I love you unconditionally and you need to get your schoolwork together, but it right. doesn't work that way in the adolescent brain. So the first thing that we see when I hear from a parent, like, oh my gosh, things are so much better at home. And I have no idea if he has quizzes or tests this week. I'm like, okay, that's the first you know, indicator that I'm always looking for. What a breath of fresh air for that family. Oh, right. Right. Even when I get done with an intake and a parent is like, I have hope. I'm like, like, this is good. Yes. Wipe the tears away. Like this is a place where we can offer you hope because we get these kids and we know how to work with them. The second thing that will happen kind of regularly in the dynamic is that at some point, something good will happen to the student at school and they'll reach out and tell their coach, hey, I got an A on Spanish or, hey, I got my math homework turned in all four days this week, right? And they're like volunteering that information to their coach who they're in contact with anyway, right? They see once or twice a week, but it's like that sense of pride and, and confidence and competence has been restored. Like I did well on this. We prepared for this or... You know, we planned out how to prepare for it and I did well on it. And I'll be like, Coach Debbie, I got an A in my Spanish test, you know? So that's like the second little indicator. Like the student is like, I'm all in, I trust my coach and I'm starting to feel good about myself. And that's a big deal for those students because the self-esteem builds. And I feel that a lot of students with executive functioning issues naturally get stuck there because they aren't building that sense of, I can do this, I'm competent, I don't need help. And so that's a huge win for those students. It really is. It really is. And you get a couple of those and then they're even more bought into the coaching process. And then what we're really looking for long-term is, is a student meeting their weekly goals, you know, one, two, three, a hundred percent. And are they meeting their semester goals, right? Mm -hmm. So I want to bring my GPA up to a 3.0. I want to get my scholarship renewed. I want to have a GPA that's strong enough to apply at Ivy League schools, you know? And so those are really the three markers along the way. What I tell parents is that the intervention part of coaching is about a semester. It takes that long to kind of break apart the bad habits to have a few check-ins with the doctor to make sure that 
the medication is the right dose and duration, and then to identify where new habits and new skills need to be built, and then to practice those long enough that they really become rote. So Mm -hmm. I always tell parents like, don't ask me in four weeks, don't ask me in six weeks, don't ask me in eight weeks. Like, I don't know where you're going to be. There are still going to be missing assignments in four weeks. I can promise you that. But give us a semester and things will be significantly better. And then many of our students actually stay longer than that, I think, because parents have a sense of comfort that their student has basically an an academic mentor, right? Like somebody who's going to help them achieve at their level, despite some of the challenges of ADHD plus autism, plus anxiety, plus depression, plus dysgraphia, right? And so to have a person who's looking out for your son or daughter and making sure that their intellectual potential doesn't get curbed by some of these other barriers. And so we'll sometimes have students with us throughout their entire middle school or high school career, just really for the scaffolding. And you've probably heard this, that kids who have ADHD can be up to 30% delayed developmentally. And so sure, you can have this great semester and, and make a lot of improvement from where they are, but there's, you know, there's some case to be made that for some teenagers, ongoing support is going to be helpful in order to make it through, you know, middle school and high school and not kind of get behind again, if you will. Right. Because the grades don't get any easier as they continue. So that makes sense that someone need to stay on for further support, but how wonderful for the families to be able to outsource that after I'm sure so many years of just feeling so exhausted from the stress and trying to manage all of that. So exhausting. Yeah. Do you have any success stories that you can share from families or students in your program? Yes, I do. So let's see. I think one of the stories I want to tell you is about Emily, who was very, very, she is very, very bright. Her mom brought her to me and said, she's very smart. She's always done well in school. She's starting middle school, and I think it was around November of middle school. So middle school for her was sixth grade, and she was starting to struggle because it's middle school. You have multiple classes, multiple teachers, multiple places to look for homework, multiple. And it's just the worst in general as well. Oh, right. Yeah. And so she started working with me, and I coached her for a few years and taught her project management planning like basically backwards project management planning. So what needs to get done at what time? How do you work backwards to get all the things done so that you're on time for the deadline? So, oh my gosh, this girl loved her planner. You know, she had all the color-coded pencils for the different classes, for the different, you know, deadlines of things that were due. And she just really excelled in middle school. And then really felt ready to go on her own in high school. And there were a few ups and downs. And mom would call me and be like, I am so frustrated. Emily has a C right now in this subject. And But she wanted to do it on her own. And she did a phenomenal job. And I was just texting her mom this afternoon. And she said, Emily still keeps her planner and her colored pencils. And that is the way she works. So she's so a in college right now. And she's still doing things the way 
you know, she learned how to do them in, in sixth grade. So I, I think that's remarkable when you can teach someone how to think about all this incoming information. The other one I'll say is he's a senior in high school this year, and he is just so close to my heart. When we, when he first came into the practice, he was so incredibly impulsive and he was getting in trouble in school for all kinds of things. And, and he was also the most likable person you ever met Mm -hmm. and so sweet, so kind, so well-mannered and just so impulsive and getting sent to the Dean's office all the time. (laughs) And I feel like the lesson I learned with Emily was be patient, you know, Mm -hmm. let process unfold, be patient. You don't have to be on top of it. It's okay that she doesn't have you for her coach in high school. She's letting this unfold. She's in charge of it. Have faith in her. With my friend Colin, I think the lesson I learned was don't stop looking up. You know, you know how when people talk about social problems or they talk about fixing problems, they're always like, don't fix the problem. Look upstream and see the solution. The solution, you know? And so turns out that Colin had a couple other things going on other than ADHD, had a little bit of OCD going on. And so once the psychologist saw that and realized that and began treating that, we saw a lot of what everyone had been thinking was behavior, but was really compulsive behavior. And, you know, he has just turned into the most amazing human being. He's musical. He's artistic. He is getting great grades in school. He is just such a great family member. And I remember it took like a year of me studying him and watching him and watching him sketch things and being like, why is this, why is this taking so long? Like what is going on? But that's what the psychologists love about partnering with us and the psychiatrists, because we've got this hands-on for an hour or two a week where we can be studying, what is this kid doing, you know, mm-hmm. and information to them. And so I remember his psychiatrist was like, I would have never figured this out in the office without your <laughs> you know? We- that's true. It's such a valuable different set of eyes and more, more time with that student that sometimes you don't get in the therapy settings. Do you want to speak more about that, actually, about how coaching and therapy could be complementary or supportive of one another? Oh, sure. Yeah. I think it's a great partnership. I know for our kids, many of them are seeing a psychiatrist or developmental pediatrician for medication. We always try to touch base with those people. We try to send them our weekly notes. We're always open to case consultation. Part of that is, I think, I probably still feel self-conscious about coaching and like how seriously is it taken by people who need a license to practice and you know that's just because of the word it is what you're doing is so much more than coaching (laughs) but the term coaching always gets a bad rap but coaching is such an important thing you know well I think so too I think so too but until it's kind of licensed and recognized as a scientific field I guess what I want is for the professionals that we're working with to really understand what it is that we're doing so that they don't have some idea that we're, you know, sitting out on the beach, you know, talking about if a tree falls in the forest sort of things. Yes. And I get what you're saying where your model is not just a casual, let me be a mentor. It's so much more than that. It's mentoring with discipline behind it, with science behind it. You know, as you mentioned, you have three careers behind all of this model. So. Oh, and I think 
Coaching as a field has come a long way. And I am very pro coaching from a positive psychology point of view. You know, I myself have a business coach. I refer people to a life coach that I really like a lot. The trouble just is the unevenness of the quality of what you're getting because of the lack of set regulation. Well said, yeah. Absolutely. There are a million great people out doing lots of different kinds of coaching. It's just that it's hard to know right, what you're getting. So the other piece I would say is that it's so important for us as we work on the academics and ADHD to be in touch with the therapist who might be working on anxiety or depression or coping skills. So here's a common one, right? Child has school anxiety. They like to try to avoid school. You know, their default is I'm not going to school on a day. I have a test. Well, if we can have a team meeting and a team conference with that clinician, that therapist, whether it's, you know, social worker, psychologist, then we can say, what coping mechanisms are you working on for Dwayne when he feels overwhelmed by school? And how could we support that? Right. Mm -hmm. Instead of us saying, well, this is how you could cope with having to go to school, right? If we can integrate what they're learning in therapy and the coping mechanisms that they're practicing in therapy, then we can support that. And I'd far rather have a therapist say, these are the three that we've chosen than for us to be developing, you know, another three. We're not licensed therapists. So we can talk about coping, but if that student is in therapy to talk about managing emotions and kind of observing their emotions flowing through them and, you know, visualizing success, then, you know, that's one of my favorite parts of the job is getting together with the clinician and the clinician seeing how executive functioning is helping the student and putting those pieces together with therapy so that we're really in essence, treating the whole person. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Your your program is set up, it sounds like, to be able to integrate all the different aspects of that student's life, family, school, therapy, you know, anything that's necessary. And again, that's such a great foundation for wrapping around the family and supporting them, but also learning so much more about that unique student so that the success can be long lasting for them. I think it comes directly from the American Academy of Pediatrics that says, multimodal therapy is what is most effective. And so, yeah, for some kids, they're going to take medication, they're going to be fine. But, you know, most kids are going to need a school plan. Most kids are going to need parents who are trained and educated and ready to be advocates. And most kids are going to need some form of skills training. And so, you know, following what the APA says, just sort of naturally leads us into a collaborative frame of mind. And just, I think the other piece of that is when you have complex kids, you have to be in touch with the therapist or the psychiatrist Mm -hmm. because, you know, we have kids at the practice who have ADHD, autism, depression, giftedness, and, you know, dysgraphia. Well, we for sure need to know, you know, if they've been working with a therapist for four or five years, What's the history there? How far have they come? What have they been able to do? What do you see as their strengths? I mean, it's really different to be working with kids who have two plus 
you know, diets. Yeah. Yeah. I just keep thinking too, like the pressure that you're taking off the parents, because typically that's the, all that you're saying is left by default to the parents to manage and coordinate between all of these people, between the teacher and the therapist and all that. So it's nice that you are doing that service for them as well. Uh, obviously the parents are still involved, but there's, it's just so much stress on a family, you know, it's too much stress. It is. I just did a, a webinar on attitude and I, I use the metaphor of, you know, if your child's at sports practice and they break a leg at no point, does anyone ask you, I know, <laughs> is leg broken? Do you think they should go to the emergency room? Do you think you need an x-ray? Would you like to have a cast? Like, but a kid with ADHD, that's what parents, they get put in the role of being the head treatment person. And it's like, I don't know if he should have meds. Like you tell me what is the science of meds and ADHD. I don't know if he needs a 504 plan or an IEP plan. You're the school, like you should be telling me. But, you know, when you compare and contrast those two situations, you realize parents are almost always in the situation of being the head of the treatment team for ADHD. Yes. And what do we know about ADHD? We don't know anything about ADHD. Like, I mean- it's crazy ridiculous. If somebody asked me, my son was in the hospital with a leg that, you know, somebody heard snap on the field, I would fall over in shock if someone said, well, do you think he has a broken bone? Well, yeah. And also it's like, well, how am I supposed to trust you with my child now that you asked me that? Because (laughs) no, it's true. It's true. Yeah. And then obviously it's, yeah, it's just a lot of stress on the family system. So it's nice to, to come to your program and get obviously you're focused on the coaching, but you're also connecting with all these other resources, which again, so, so helpful and so needed for these chronic situations like ADHD. So you are presenting at the Chad conference in November next month. Is it Chad? They they say Chad or C-H-A-D-D? What, how do they refer to it? They say Chad. Okay. I assumed. So you must be excited about this. What are you hoping is the big takeaway from your presentation? Give us a little teaser trailer. Sure. I really would like whoever is listening to my presentation to get an understanding of what you can hope for if you hire a coach for your student, right? Like what can the vision be? What outcome can you be driving toward that this should be done with some purpose in mind that you should be able to see the outcome of? That's really my goal in presenting. And obviously I'm going to present our model and why it works and, you know, satisfaction levels and things like that and how much training the coaches get and things like that. But what I really want to say to people is if you're going to go hire an ADHD coach or an executive functioning coach, interview two or three or four, get a sense of their qualifications. You may run into four that are really, really well qualified. And then look and see, like, ask them, what should we expect, you know, out of this process in a month, two months, four months, because you're that child's advocate. And so again, you want to know what is it that I'm looking for? If I'm going to turn this process over to you, then I want to know what I should expect to see. So I think there's that component. And I think, I guess from a, a less applied and more geeky perspective, I, I want to talk about the science that guides our model, you know, and like, yes, absolutely. why 
you know, brain-based science is what we use to form relationships and, and talk about how so many behavioral interventions don't work for these complex kids. And so I think that's my, my second agenda is, you know, just, can we move this conversation forward from behaviors to brains? I love that. That's a great tagline. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's true because you have such a unique perspective where you have the very developed academics behind what you're doing and then also the applied side. And a lot of people, you know, are in one camp or the other. So it's really great that you have one foot in each perspective and can offer such a, you know, more well-rounded treatment, I think, for these kids and their families. That was the benefit of several years in academia and several years in the yeah. wide world of nonprofit. I don't know. And now I'm blending the two. I don't know. We, we yes. have some coherent story, I'm sure. Yes. No, yeah, I, I think it's wonderful because it gives you such a unique outlook on it, which is so needed. Well, where can we learn more about Russell Coaching for Students or your presentation coming up at Chad's conference? Sure. So the Chad conference is easy to find if you go to chad.org. So C-H-A-D-D.org. The conference is on the very front of their page right now. It's in November, so it's next month. And there will be an option to attend virtually and an option to attend in person. And so people find will find that there are kind of resources, even if they are, are not in a place where they want to be traveling. So that's where you can find that information. And then I think after that, we'll probably post the presentation on our website. And our website is russellcoaching.org. And Russell is two S's and two L's. So russellcoaching.org. And I would say on our page, we've cataloged very carefully all of the podcasts that I've appeared on. And so for parents who might be looking to learn more about specific aspects of ADHD, you can go to my website, click on the page where all the podcasts are inventory. And actually the, the blogs are on there too, and get a lot more information about ADHD. I think it's very difficult in this country to become well-educated about ADHD. I, I think it kind of falls in between the gaps. Like the psychologist does a little bit of it when they evaluate, the psychiatrist does a little bit, the pediatrician does a little bit, but it is very easy to end up with a diagnosis and very little understanding of ADHD. So of all the 30 to 40 podcasts I've done in the last year, I've really tried to make things simple and easy to understand. If you want to follow us on Instagram, we're at Russell Coaching LLC. And so that's always fun for tips and, and techniques and inspiration. And then we do have a, a LinkedIn page for Russell Coaching as well. Wonderful. And are any books that you've written also on your website, I'm assuming? They are. The book, okay. Asking the Right Questions Before, During, and After the ADHD Diagnosis. You can go to our webpage and it will take you directly to Amazon. The book is sold through Amazon in print and in Kindle version, which is nice. And what people have told me about the book that they like is that its purpose is very clear. You know, the purpose is not to be an entire comprehensive encyclopedia of ADHD, but it is designed to empower parents to ask the questions that maybe they thought they should ask, maybe had never occurred to them, but provide them with information that they need to know in order to be their child's advocate. And it's all laid out in one 
tiny streamlined book and is easy to follow. And you can take the book with you to the doctor and ask the questions. Yeah, it's very practical, very hands-on, very applied, just like our practice. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, I'll definitely start recommending that as a resource because I think that's so needed in a time where there's so much going on and so much confusion, right? Just to have that laid out, it's wonderful. Well, and people don't know what they should be asking. They right. just get told what they need to be told. Right, right. Know? So, yeah. yeah. Well, I think one of the things that sticks out the most for me for this conversation is what you, when you shared about your students and what they taught you and just that your model really focuses on having faith in the children or the student and also looking for solutions instead of focusing on the problems. Because, you know, and I know everyone in this field is very well-meaning, of course, but some, I think by default, students with neurological issues or executive functioning issues, they in, inherently are kind of told they can't do things on their own and they need so much help and there's so much going on that's a problem. And so, yeah, I just think it's wonderful that you kind of flip that on its head and really build faith and self-esteem and in the students, and then also encourage everyone to find the solution instead of always focusing on what's going wrong here. So I just really appreciate you sharing about your expertise and your program and I'm excited for you for the conference next month. And is there anything that you want to leave us with or anything I haven't asked about you want to add in there? I would just say to those who are listening, I live in Tampa, so we're headquartered in Tampa, but we have 20 coaches and we see students across the United States and Canada and some international students. And so for clinicians who might be listening or parents who might be listening, this resource is definitely available to you. So we meet by Zoom. We have a really well-developed Zoom model that both the parents and the kids are highly satisfied with. And so you can refer to us at Russell Coaching either by sending an email from the website or calling our number. I think this is not a service that a lot of parents are familiar with. And so I always want to try to leave the show saying, we are available. Yes, you heard me say I was in Florida. You heard me say I was in Tampa, but it doesn't matter. You could be in Los Angeles. You could be in Washington. You could be in Minneapolis and Austin, New York, Boston. We are available anywhere in the United States to provide academic and ADHD coaching to a complex student. Wonderful. Yep. Well, Noreen, thank you so much for taking the time to discuss this today. And also, I want to thank our listeners for joining in on the conversation. We appreciate you being here with us. As a reminder, this episode, its resources, and all our other shows can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com bht. You can visit triadhq.com bht today and explore our archive. We look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavioral Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community. And if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.